0: The following podcast contains graphic discussion of true crimes laced with foul language and tipsy banter that may be offensive and disturbing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Uncorked, and I just want to say that I am Jen Rebecca's friend.
1: <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Rebecca.
0: Um, and I'm gonna tell you why I'm so psyched that Rebecca's my friend. So today we are getting ready to record, and she shows up with this humongous box that <laughs> I'm like uh what is going on here, and all of a sudden she comes in. And I said, what is this? She says, it's a gift. It was
1: huge. Yeah, because it's like two feet a cube. Oh, my God. Like two foot by two or three feet. Three feet by three feet by three feet.
0: I am (laughs) 5'2", and this thing was (laughs) a little bit more than half my height. And I had no idea what it was. And then I opened it up right away because I have to open up gifts right away because I have no patience. And when I did, it was the most awesomest fucking beanbag chair I have ever seen in my entire life. She got me this gray corduroy beanbag chair. We're trying to, like, put our space together. And I mentioned off the cuff one day briefly, hey, you know what would be great? A beanbag chair. And <laughs> lo and behold, I am chilling in my new gray Beanbag chair. So thank you, Rebecca. You're welcome. What What you're would welcome. I do without you?
1: Seriously. It's awesome. Friends
0: like you are hard to come by. So thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. I love my bean bag chair. <laughs> you got to be comfortable to when be. we're doing podcasts. And when you're talking about oh. the terrible stuff we're talking about. Absolutely
0: um so let's just go into our wine okay let's just go into our wine of the day so we are so excited because the wine that we're drinking today was our very first wine donation we got a nice bottle of wine from my uncle who I just want to point out when I told him what we were doing with this podcast and everything his first reaction was can't you talk about something else (laughs) Like, why are you talking about that stuff? I'm like, trust me, people like this. We like it. It's all good. It's all good. So I think this is sort of his, like, but I do want to support you makeup gift. And it's awesome. It's a bottle of sweet bliss, sweet red wine. It's a a blend, I'm assuming. But let me tell you something. The first thing that caught my eye was not only the front of the wine bottle the label and we'll put it up on our Instagram so you can see but the back of the bottle the very first sentence in the description is the best word to describe this wine is yum and Honestly, it looks very yum. So, I am very excited to taste this wine. So, um, basically, it is from a sweepless winery. They're out of Richland, Virginia. And they describe this wine as. A heavenly blend of ripe red fruit and subtle toasted oak with deep cherry flavors and a velvety chocolate mouthfeel. I mean uh, when you hear that, it's like yes, how it's could like, this, yum. Yes. how could this be bad? So we're very excited. So thank you very much, Uncle Louie. We really appreciate it.
1: Yes, thank you. So here we go. Alright.
0: As we like to start,
1: cheers.
0: cheers. Okay,
1: so Rebecca. I'm sorry. I, I know I'm kind of running right. off today. No, that's good. That's so, good. We like to keep it going. <laughs> keep it going. So I want to just start off really quick. Okay. There was the story that came out. I
0: read this, and I, I had to talk to you about it. Okay. It's so you're going to love this one. Okay. Now, if this were to happen to me, there's no way in hell I would be able to
1: survive this thing. But <laughs> whatever. Is it a snake? Because no. I can't take snakes. No. Not at all.
0: This story, it takes place near the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. It involves a junior there by the name of Maddie. She just goes by the name of Maddie. What happened was she's living in her apartment and weird things start to happen. So, like, handprints begin to appear on bathroom walls. No way. Items of her clothing went missing without explanation. So she is like totally thinking there's a fucking
1: ghost in right. my apartment. Right. All right. Right. So yeah, anyway. Absolutely, that's what I'd be thinking. So
0: she goes to work, comes home. This all took place on February 2nd, by the way. And she hears this rattling coming from her closet. Later on when they interviewed her, she thought there was a raccoon. So imagine like a raccoon on the outside of the door, like, you know, yeah, scratching, scratching you get at it. the right. So, all of a sudden, she says, Who's there? And somebody answers oh. me. And then okay. he, after he answers me, has the realization not that, hey, I shouldn't have answered, and says, Oh, my name is Drew. <laughs> so, anyway.
1: So, not only it's me, it's
0: me, it's and Drew. And you may
1: not know who I am, my name is Drew. It's <laughs> Drew. <laughs> it's Drew. Does she know him?
0: She does not know him. Long okay. story short, this guy's been living in her closet for a couple of days, the police think. He's a 30-year-old man. His name is Andrew. He's now facing multiple charges. Um. The Greensboro police came. Now, what happened was, though, when she encountered him, she was asking him this series of questions like, what are you doing are you here to hurt me are you going to do anything to me and she had an apple watch she was trying to make an emergency call from there and then finally she couldn't get through so she messaged her boyfriend and then she just decided you know what i'm going to open the door uh-huh and see you know and when she tried to open the door she felt him trying to push the door open so she saw him in there he's wearing her clothes <gasps> her socks her shoes and he's got a book bag full of her clothes too so instead oh of freaking God. out which is what <gasps> I would do I would have like screamed my ass off running ran out the door Right? No, she decides. Oh, let me calmly talk to him. What? See, yes, let me calmly talk to him and see, you know, if I yeah. can get some information. And guess what? It works. It works. Now, this is a very rare case scenario. Yeah, because uh, you sort of, I mean, I he's living in that? her closet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he's living in her closet. Oh my god. So, I give her a lot of credit for. Being very,
1: like, nice
0: to him and everything like that. How
1: could she be? I don't know. I don't know.
0: I, I would not be able to, but I give her a lot of credit. But at the same time, I don't advise that at all. Like no. Anyway, so she... Try to get out, get away as fast as possible. Yes. I don't know. They just started talking. He apparently, he tried on her hat and went into the bathroom and looked at himself. The only thing he so did... So she could have got away. Yes. The only thing that he did um, that made her feel a little uncomfortable was he said, you're really pretty. Can I give you a hug? She kept him talking and he just was telling her all about her life and everything like that. Uh And long story short, the boyfriend got in touch with the the local police and they showed up about 10 minutes after she opened the door. Uh And when they arrived, you know, of course, they arrested him. He was, at this point, about a block away from her apartment. Um, so he had already faced 14 felony charges, I read, including larceny and identity theft. So um, now he's also charged with misdemeanor breaking and entering, and he's being held in the county jail. Wow. but when I read that, I mean, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny, but at the same time, <laughs> it's, it's like, imagine you just come home for work one day, and then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> hello, and I need a closet. And she got, was not expecting an why? answer when she says, hello. <laughs> well, from what I understand, um, well, obviously, she moved. Smart mm-hmm. girl. Um, but from what I understand... I don't know. I guess the apartment complex that she lived in, they had experienced sort of, you know, break-ins and other oh, people must kind been. of appearing. And, but to have somebody living in your closet for a couple of days, they estimate. And then, you know, you open up your closet and they're wearing your clothes. Oh, my God.
1: I mean. Freaky. Imagine. Nope.
0: <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to be wearing, like, you
1: know. Oh, Real.
0: And he's got a book bag full of her clothes too. Anyway, it's okay. crazy. It is. So
1: I read that, and I just wanted to see if. So when heard they about picked that. him up down the st- no, I hadn't heard about that. So when they picked him up down the street, they took him to like a mental health clinic or something. Oh, no, they just threw him in jail. Oh. He's being held on bail. <laughs> <laughs> Further investigation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: All right. So anyway, last week we um left off with a very
1: disturbing bella yeah a little yeah.
0: disturbing uh
1: by the name of arthur shawcross you're going to do part two for us yes i am and i'm going to focus this this podcast on the women that he ended up killing after he was released from the heinous crimes of killing two children which was ridiculous. Now, also, he's he's married at this point, right? Well, it's not actually... He's not married. It's a girlfriend, a oh. limit. But he he met this woman just because she had a car. So she was his target to get a car so he could go and pick up these women to kill them. And do these horrible so, things. Yeah. So it was a girlfriend slash, you know, he was using her. He was very good at that. Ugh. Yeah. That's Arthur Shaw Cross. The first woman that he killed was Dorothy Blackburn. She was 27, and she, she was reported missing on March 18, 1988. She was then found on uh, March 24, 1988. And she was found with uh, a missing vagina.
0: <gasps> Yay!
1: And it, it, it is his recollection when he killed her. That she was giving him oral sex and she bit him so he went around and took a bite of her vagina while she was still alive and, and that's how it all started that's how all these women started going and they were all prostitutes they were primarily sex workers in the area he preyed on the vulnerable yep absolutely and they were also women that would be less likely to be reported missing or, you know, it would take a or, while. I mean this one actually, the first one actually was really quick. I mean, the eighteenth and then the twenty fourth she was found, so
0: Or even to report a crime because yeah. they're not gonna report it being Right. That they're sex workers. Yeah, and this is back
1: in the eighties. Yeah, absolutely. So. And then a couple months later he kills Anna Stefan. She was twenty eight. And this was on July 9th, 1988. She went missing, and then she was discovered months later. They found her body September 11th, 1988. So she was gone for quite a while. And then there was Dorothy Keeler. She was 59. Now this was like out of his MO, and they actually think that he went after her because she reminded him of his mother who sodomized him as a child. So, she went missing on July 29th, 1989, and she was found October 21st, 1989. So, that was almost a year he he went from uh, Anna to Dorothy in a year. And then there was Patricia Ives. She was 25, and she went missing September 29th, 1989, and she was found October 27th, 1989. So very short, almost a month. Then there was June Stott. She was 30, and she went missing October 23rd, 1989. And she was found October, or November 23rd, 1989. Excuse me. Then one, one month, and she was found. So
0: it's it sounds like his killings are happening more frequently, and they're finding them more frequently. Well, so at this it. point, it's like... This was a spree, really. They know, at this point, they know, they hey, have we a, have a serial killer.
1: But they were actually thinking that it was a guy from Pennsylvania that moved. There was a lot of killings happening at the same time in Pennsylvania. And they thought that he moved that whatever was happening in Pennsylvania, that that person, whoever was doing that, now was in Rochester. Almost
0: like a copycat yeah, case.
1: Ex- exactly. Well, and he changed his whole M.O. because he started off, and he just kept escalating. Escalating. He, yes. So, um, so the authorities thought, yeah, this could be that serial killer from down down there, because it's not too far. You're only talking a couple hundred miles. And then uh, Marie Welsh on the she was 22 years old uh, on November 5th. So they're actually finding bodies as he's killing people. So if you look at it, like, like June Stott went missing on October 23rd. They found her body on November 23rd, but he had already killed the other one in between. So she would have been only a, a week after June Stott went missing he wasn't keeping these women. It was instant. So Mm -hmm. the day they went missing, you can pretty much say is the day of death, Mm -hmm. whether they were found or not. That's the day they died because he was borrowing this car, turning around, killing them, and getting the car back. (laughs) So (laughs) what does that tell you? (laughs) Right. And then victim number seven was a Francis Brown. She was 22 years old, and she died uh, November 11th, 1989, and she was found November 15th, 1989. Then there's Kimberly Logan. She was 30, and she went missing November 15th, and she was found November 15th, so she was instantly found. But again, she was found before his fifth victim, June Stott. Yes. You know, like, so they're finding it. I mean, this is like, got to be a crazy time for Rochester. Now,
0: is he leaving them in...
1: Oh, always in the river. Always in yeah, the... Yeah, oh. always in the river, which is why he's the Tennessee River Killer. Hello? Yep, yep, that's what he would do. Oh, just a despicable man. And they were all murdered violently. Yes. It was always in the act of sex. It was, they also think that he may have been impotent, so he wasn't able to, and that would upset him and enrage him, and then he couldn't control himself, so he would kill them. Wow. But he also stated in some interviews that they were stealing money from him, like they would agree on a price for $25, you know, you're going to give me a blowjob, but then when they got there, they were like, no, it'll be 50 you know, so it was. It, he That wouldn't incense him. So if you upset him in any way, shape, or form, he couldn't control his anger. Obviously. Obviously. I mean, shit, I wouldn't. Yep, no. Getting on his bad side's a whole new level. Then there was Elizabeth Gibson. She was 29 years old. And November 25th, 1989, she went missing. And she was found November 27th, 1989. And then Darlene Tri- Trippy. She was 32 and she went missing, uh, December 15th, 1989. And she was found January 5th, 1990. So a month, almost a lot less than a month, like two weeks, right? Wow. And then June Cicero, which is a famous one. That...
0: So I, I told you a little bit last week that I knew of Arthur Shawcross. I didn't know the extent, but, um, This is the story that I know well. I mean, I unfortunately have seen her crime scene
1: photos, and they're horrendous. Yes. And that's where he was actually caught, because he went back to visit her body. Yes. And she had been in the water underneath the bridge, and he was standing above it when the helicopter went by. And that's how he got caught. That is crazy. Yep. Well, she so she went missing, I said December seventeenth, and she was found January third. And like I said on January fifth is when he returned to her crime scene. So it took like he constantly did that. Sometimes he would come back and have sex with the bodies. He would remove the head. Um, it, he was just a sick, sick individual. His last victim was Felicia Stevens. She was twenty years old. And she was reported missing on December 28th, and he was caught still on January 3rd, and her body had been found on December 31st. Wow. So all of these, like, close to the end here, because they were all on top of each other within days, it's like he went manic. And just, like, daily was killing these people because the 15th, the 17th, the 28th, and then you're arrested on January 3rd. How do you come home and say, okay, let's do Christmas? (laughs) You think you know someone. Oh, my God. I just can't even imagine. And so, it actually took a break for Christmas.
0: Oh, how nice of him. How nice of him (laughs) to celebrate the holidays. But he got right back on
1: it on the 28th. And then he was thankfully caught on the 3rd of January. All right, so what's the deal with him now? So what happened, he went to trial. And they had so much evidence against him, and he just pled not guilty by insanity. And thank God he lost. So he was convicted. 250 years was his sentence. So he was at the Sullivan Correctional Facility until he passed away on November 2008, had a heart attack and he died at 9:50 p.m. at Albany Medical Center. Huh. And he was cremated. That's it. If I remember correctly, he had a daughter, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Like 2004, I think she was informed that he was her father and she reached out to him and then she went and visited him with her daughter, his grandchild, and he came it, it, totally clean with her. He told her everything and they had a loving relationship through the end. She visited him in prison all the time. It was, she was from Texas. She'd come up and have the family nights with him knowing what he did, knowing that he had killed kids and never knew him prior to this. No, nope. Never knew him prior. He's
0: in jail and then find She finds, she finds out. out. Yeah. All right. Look, I don't know
1: about that you find out your father's a cannibal he's a murderer he's an arsonist i mean why would you even want to look him up Uh, there's a reason your mother didn't want you to know
0: i know that you know people would be curious some people would be curious you find out i mean some for some people it's a they drop a bombshell on you and they wanted to go and visit him if I found out that my father did all of these heinous things and never knew him, I would have thanked my lucky stars that I dodged that
1: bullet. And the last place I would go was to visit him in jail. But that's just me. So that was that was him in a nutshell. Currently, he's gone, so the world is a better place. You know what really just
0: sticks is that, now, regardless of when this happens... It's horrendous. You know, this happened to their family at Christmas. Like their Christmas oh, is fucking ruined.
1: Totally ruined
0: for the rest of their lives. Oh,
1: absolutely. Because it's that, gonna be a constant reminder. Yes. And
0: not that there's time. ever a good time for this to happen in oh, your life. No, no. But to have it happen at Christmas, one of the happiest holidays. I mean the happiest holiday yep.
1: is incredible. a reminder
0: of this thing that happens.
1: Yep. And the worst part is that he's in jail and he's like making artwork. I mean, it's unbelievable. Do you know making what? money.
0: Do you know what? I have seen his artwork. I've actually even seen, I think, some hair of his in a oh, in container the... where it's being sold. And look, there might be a market for that, whatever, uh-huh. we're not part of that. Actually if
1: you go to, what is that, Wikipedia? Yes. If you go, go to his Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, yeah. you'll see an image of his granddaughter and his daughter in jail with a back tra- fake backdrop. But he's in jail, and that's the picture. It's unbelievable. I don't know. I couldn't do it. I don't think that you should harbor anger. Nobody should harbor anger. You need to release it and forgive from your perspective, but you don't have to forget. Absolutely not. Absolutely.
0: You forgive to heal yourself. Yes. But those events could never be forgotten. And it would be just, you know, ridiculous to assume somebody would be able to do that because, I mean, well, you know what? I'm so glad that you mentioned all of their names because those victims are important people that were taken way too soon. And, taken so horrifically and seriously well the
1: saddest part about serial killers and all of this is that they become so famous like everybody knows his name but nobody knows those those victims every single one of them deserves some appreciation for their lives and it's just sad i think they because they were sex workers or prostitutes or whatever that they just went like that nobody cared. They just kind of said, "Oh, well. Well,
0: hopefully, you know, we can change things." And I think the more that we talk about these horrific crimes and the victims, more conversation could be.
1: Oh, yeah. Made and... Like we said from the beginning, we are definitely the victim advocates. You know, we want we want you to know what's out there and what happened to these people and just wonder how, <laughs>
0: and we don't how want how? any of this to happen to no, us. No, no, this is like my biggest fear in life. Seriously, I can't. All right, so shall we go on? Yes, then?
1: with that, yes, with, with that, that actually, I how i about a, had a Yes, uh, so we're gonna make this wine so good. Oh my god, it's so sweet! It's not it is super amazing. sweet. It's
0: so good. This sweet bliss. I mean, mm-hmm. that's. That's pretty much the bottle right there. Um, <laughs> well, but we're pouring, we need some we are pouring some big glasses We are pouring some big
1: glasses. <laughs> Cheers.
0: Cheers. Cheers. So, okay, so now that we're nice and uh, wind up, wound up. <laughs> Why don't we just go into my story. Yes, absolutely. So, so gonna, you have somebody
1: new for us today. I have
0: somebody new today. And, and we don't know who it is? No, but guess what? what? It is a serial killer. Okay, good. And I we don't discriminate here. We're gonna be talking about a female serial killer. Oh, okay. So the person I'm gonna be talking about today, her name is Velma Barfields. And one of the reasons why I picked her and I'm just gonna be honest. Is her name was Velma, and I really like the name Velma, Velma because every other person I know whose name is Velma totally rocks. You got Velma from Chicago, yep. who was like the coolest murderer chick ever. Sorry, I should, probably shouldn't have said that, but we don't we don't <laughs> condone murdering. But let's face it, Velma was one cool badass. Absolutely. Bitch. Secondly, Velma from Scooby-Doo. Yes. How could you not absorb yes. Velma from
1: Scooby-Doo? So And she's I, all detective. Oh, absolutely.
0: Velma caught my eye, so I picked her. So, let me go on to the Velma Barfield story. Okay, awesome. Okay. Sounds so, good to me. Velma Barfield was born Margie Velma Bullard on October 29, 1932. So, that was a good name change right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> she was born in South Carolina, but raised near Fayetteville, North Carolina. And she's the second child and first daughter of her parents, Murphy, and his wife, Lily. They went on to have nine children, so Velma kind of was in the mix. So her dad apparently was easily angered, he was hard drinking, and when he didn't get his way, he was strict, and he was a really tough disciplinarian with his children. Velma was not happy with this, but what she was also unhappy with was her mother's submissive attitude towards their father. Because every time she got a beating from her dad, she was not just upset with her dad that she got the beating, but she was upset with her mother because she witnessed the abuse and did Mm. nothing. Oh. Yeah. So there were times... So there was a lot
1: of resentment.
0: A lot of resentment. Now, even though her dad Murphy was this mean-ass drunk... He could be loving with his kids, and he often organized, like, games, baseball games with his kids and, like, other kids in the neighborhood and stuff. So when Velma was in high school, she found out that she was really into sports. And one of her favorite sports was basketball. So she was a member of her girls' team, Mm -hmm. and she liked the energy of the game and everything, so she found her sort of, like, little niche there. Uh But then her mom... Popped out another kid, and said, "Velma, you're not playing on the girls' team anymore. You're gonna be coming home after school. You're gonna help me raise these kids. You're gonna help me do the housework yep. with your other sister because I need the help. Yep. And look, she had nine children. I right. don't blame her. Right. She needed the help. Right. But poor Velma, right? right. I mean, yeah. she's
1: playing on the basketball team. She's happy. She doesn't yep. need to
0: be coming home. No, and doing my mom shit. was
1: one of seven, so. Yeah, that's I mean, what happens. And uh, the first was a girl. So, they of course, they're helping out with all the little ones that come after.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yep. And, of course, what are you going to do with your family? You're not right. going to turn it back on your family. Right. But she
0: found her little thing and, you know, now she's got to quit the team. Aww. So, yeah, anyway. Um, so, back in high school, though... She had a little something going on that was making her happy. Uh, She was making googly eyes at this classmate named Thomas Burke, who apparently had this mutual crush on her. So after her 16th birthday, she begged and pleaded her miserable, angry father to be able to date. So finally he gave in, but of course he put these big rules on her. And um, she... You know, she followed her dad's rules because she wanted to, like, deal with his wrath when she came home. So when she was 17, Thomas proposed to her, and she accepted. Oh. So they quit school. Uh-oh. Shortly after marrying, Thomas had different jobs. Velma worked for a while at a drugstore, but then he was like, Nah, I don't want my wife working. You will stay home. You will clean the house. You will make me dinner. You know, kind yeah. of like how things were. Back then, thank God for progress. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, she gave birth to two kids, a son named Ronald and then a daughter named Kim. And Sounds like the perfect little yeah, family. Yeah. Actually, when the kids started school, when they were like school age, she was like the PTA mom. She was the one that could always be counted on. She was showing up to like the events. You know, she was yeah. just your,
1: your happy, ideal mom. Your
0: ideal yeah. mom. But then, in 1963. But then. <laughs> but then. Doesn't it always start like that? <laughs> PTA mom
1: what then
0: what okay. <laughs> then in 1963 she started having some medical problems she wound up undergoing a hysterectomy- uh-huh. and after undergoing the hysterectomy she started going through some changes and they were pretty drastic and they were pretty negative uh-huh. so she you know she was not herself she was feeling depressed she felt nervous she started snapping at people and i mean like at first you think like this is every other woman you know that one time every month who hasn't done this right right Right. but no it was she was just in this like funk and she was just not getting out of it at all so, at this time, her husband's working, but he's also going out with his friends a lot. And she's like, I'm not putting
1: up with this. You know, reacting. I'm irritable. Right, Come And if he's not around helping, then she's just doing everything. She's doing
0: everything. Yeah. She's doing Why does she need legs? him, then? Well.
1: <laughs> What's he there for except to take up space, right?
0: No, he's the sole provider oh, because she's okay. not so, working. Because, oh, right. So, so, he's the one who wanted her right, that way. Right, right. And not only that. But he's like going out with his friends every night. She's raising his kids. She just had a hysterectomy. Yeah,
1: that would well, good. At least there's no more common right.
0: <laughs> Exactly. At this point,
1: <laughs> that's the only <laughs> plus the in only this woman's life <laughs> right, right now. Okay, <laughs> she's just miserable.
0: So her husband likes to drink. He's taken up the drink and he's involved in a couple of things. He was arrested for drunk driving in 1967. He lost his license and his job. So that left him totally devastated and, you know, feeling shame. So at this point, Velma is just beside herself. There's a lot of tension in the family. Her and her husband are fighting she is now you know not feeling well even more so she goes to the doctor and she's put on some
1: medication and maybe she's got a hormonal imbalance uh, mood swings absolutely it's probably the um, estrogen levels too chemical
0: and the more her husband drank the more depression she slipped into so she was hospitalized for a week and given vitamins and sedatives before being released to go home and when she started taking these medications she really realized like hey this is really working out for me so quickly started doctor shopping because she wanted to just medicate herself constantly. It was the only thing that you know she felt. Mm. So she worried about her husband on one hand. On the other hand she's popping pills left and right. She's writing prescriptions and now getting caught um so one day uh their house caught on fire and the only person home was her husband thomas both kids were at school and she was at the laundromat or something like this Mm -hmm. and he died (gasps) thomas died of smoke inhalation so several months after there was another fire at the home this time nobody was inside Um, But the house was completely gutted. You know, anyway, so insurance paid for the damage, but she had no place to live, so she moves back in with her parents. Soon after, she starts dating a widower named Jennings Barfield. And he was somebody who had taken an early retirement because he had a lot of health problems. He had diabetes, emphysema, heart disease, Mm. but she married him anyway. God bless her.
1: (laughs) Well, she's probably hoping he's going to die and she can collect all his money. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) cynical. No, they were in love. You've seen enough enough (laughs)
0: Lifetime movies to know how these women think, right? This is true. Anyway, so she had a church wedding. She didn't have that the first time, so she was happy about that. So she moved in with him, and he had a daughter at the time. And shortly thereafter, they started having trouble because she was still overusing her medication. And then one day, her husband found her in a semi-conscious state. Okay. So he took her to the hospital, and she had an overdose, is basically what the doctors told him. So they separated, they reconciled, she said, I'm not going to do this anymore. But while the divorce seemed inevitable, they actually never split up. Oh. He died on March 21st, 1971, apparently from heart failure which troubled him for a bunch of years. So now she's widowed again, and she's not coping well, so she turns to her medication. Her house, once again, catches on
1: fire. It's okay, like I'm a... seeing a pattern, and nobody can be that unlucky. Right? I mean...
0: After three times, she goes into complete hysterics.
1: Wouldn't you? Well, three times your house. Yeah, put, I mean... I mean, you're either really destined to die in a fire or you're setting them. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, They're those just... are
0: my conclusions. Absolutely. Okay. So, it's ridiculous. Okay. So, her, um, her son at this point is grown and says he's planning on marrying and she just loses her shit. So, she's forging her own prescriptions and she pled guilty. She was arrested got off with
1: a suspended sentence and a fine. Her dad winds up dying, and now her and her mom... So, all these men are dying around her, and the houses are burning down.
0: <laughs> yes! Oh, God. Yes! Absolutely. So, her dad's death created this terrible, terrible situation between her and her mom, where they were just fighting constantly. Uh-huh. And her mom was, like, ordering her arounds, and it was just a really bad situation. So, now her mom is extremely sick. During the summer of 1974, her stomach was just cramping up, and she began throwing up uncontrollably. Sorry if you're eating, but she was suffering from violent diarrhea. Now, this is what I'm assuming is the kind of, like, diarrhea that just, like, you are sitting there, and you just... Think you're gonna die, right? Yep. You're like, just take me, I just can't yep. even deal with Sold this. over in pain, <laughs> and, I can't yeah. deal with this yeah. anymore, right? I yep. mean,
1: please. When you're begging for it,
0: right? Exactly. This, exactly. this is what I am thinking violent <laughs> diarrhea <laughs> means because we hear that and you're thinking, this has to be the worst, <laughs> like, the worst bad of the shits ever. Yes,
1: definitely.
0: Anyway. So Velma drives her mom to the hospital, but the doctors don't know what the hell's going on. They send her home. Uh Uh-huh. But shortly after, she gets sick again, but this time she's vomiting blood. So Velma calls her brother up. He shows up at the house and sees the condition that his mother is in and is immediately calling 911. The ambulance comes, takes her to the hospital, and she dies two hours later. Oh, God. This girl has got too much. (laughs) It's like, is she the most unlucky person ever? All right, so in early 1975, she got in trouble with the law again. She's writing bad checks now. She's sentenced to prison for six months, and she was released after serving three. Mm. But after her stint in the slammer, she started looking for jobs, and what she decided to do was she was going to be an elderly caretaker in 1976 she was living with and working for Montgomery and Dolly Edwards well tensions started to surface and then shortly after that the quarrels got really bad and Montgomery died in January 1977 Mm -hmm. but Velma stayed to aid Dolly but they still continued to bicker and then that year
1: surprise surprise Dolly got sick oh my goodness
0: her stepson came to visit And he thought she had the flu, but it was really, really bad. So, he insisted she go to the hospital. So, Velma called an ambulance for her. She was treated by the doctors, sent back home. And then, three days later, she took a turn for the worse, was back in the hospital, and she died that night. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, now Velma doesn't have a job again, obviously, right? Yes. So, she's caring for another
1: elderly person. Wow. 80-year-old farmer John Henry Lee. And Doesn't his... she have friends close by that are like, "Oh, all <laughs> this crap is happening to you." Like the, wouldn't you be like if every time Jen I saw you and you're like, "Oh, so and so died. Oh, so and so died. Oh, so and so," I'd be like, "Jen, I see a pattern. <laughs> Everybody who knows you is dying." Well,
0: on the other hand, it's also like, you know, mm-hmm. When somebody keeps coming to you and saying, hey, this person's dying, this person's dying, this person's
1: dying, I think you kind of want to shy away at yeah. that point. So
0: my guess oh, is she didn't. Just... She probably didn't have a lot of friends at that point.
1: No, because all her friends
0: end up dead. This is like the most unlucky <laughs> woman to ever live, it sounds like. So... No, you don't want to be friends with somebody no. like this at this point. She's probably needing a friend, although she needed a friend. But at this point, you don't want to because, you know, there's no good luck around her at yeah. all. No, it just isn't none,
1: none. I'd be like, I don't want to be her friend. You'd be dead.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> so she's happy at this new position, but of course, problems started again. And um, clients got sick again. Clients got sick again. Yep. John Henry got sick. His stomach was upset, and he developed—you guessed it—violent diarrhea. <sighs> so when his condition worsened, Velma called the ambulance. They came, rushed him to the hospital. Recovered a couple of days there. They sent him home and the doctors were mystified. They didn't know what was going on. You know, what is you know, some sort of virus must mm-hmm. be going around, right? So now throughout the following month, John Henry's continually getting sick. He'd be okay for a few days, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it'd be like nausea, heartburn, ingestion, the <laughs> ups and stuff, and <laughs> diarrhea. Right? I mean it's like yeah, guys some Pepto-Bismol for Christ's sakes right yep so anyway his weight continued to drop drastically like no shit because he's like <laughs> on the toilet 24 7 can't put it, it in to keep coming out. Exactly, exactly his daughters were psyched that Velma was there taking care of him but at the same time they were like seriously what the hell is going on with my dad so of course You know, another ambulance to the hospital and another now dead person. Oh, no. Yes. He died on June 4th. So sometime after the funeral, she moved in. Velma moved in uh, with her then-boyfriend, Stuart Taylor. Now... And shortly after that, he started feeling sick, and he died on February 3rd, 1978, while she was, quote-unquote, nursing him back
1: to hell. Oh, yeah.
0: Nurse. Hello? Oof. Okay. But the children here were like, hmm, something's a little bit fishy.
1: We need to do an autopsy. So. Finally. Right? Somebody's got the aha moment. <laughs>
0: Autopsy is done. Arsenic in yep. the system. <gasps> Authorities started taking a look at the death certificates from the previous people who had passed away in her care. And all of them died of
1: gastroenteritis. Uh-huh. Arsenic.
0: Poison. They didn't test for poison. Poison. Back then, because they just, you know, they were old folks. They were coming right. in. They had flu-like symptoms very no bad. In it. So at this point, the authorities are like, we have a serial
1: killer on our hands here. Yep. But so she, they have her. They that's, have her. That's good.
0: <laughs> so she was arrested. And the body of Jennings Barfield, this is her second husband now, okay. was
1: exhumed.
0: And they did an autopsy. And they found traces of arsenic. Yep. So at this point, she confessed. And she confessed to the killing of her own mother, Lillian. Wow. So she was being tried for one count of first-degree murder. And that's of Stuart Taylor, her boyfriends. And then her defense, though, you're going to love this one. Her defense was that she didn't mean to kill him. She just wanted to make him ill so that she could cover up the thefts by returning the money she stole from
1: him. Oh.
0: So she's like, let me just give you the shit so I, that I can, like, get the money while you're, like, busy. Yeah, so better. that was an oops. Yeah, that was an oops. <laughs> oops, didn't mean to kill him. Just wanted to, like, you know, have give him violent diarrhea so I can, like, return the money that I fucking stole from him. How nice of her, right? Okay, anyway, so during her trial, the defense put on several medical witnesses to testify that she was just, you know, a chronic drug user. She wasn't thinking straight and that she was totally insane. But no, the judge found that she was actually legally sane. So right after that, the prosecution gave the summation to the jury and... Her behavior shocked not only her family, but her attorney as well. So she made a gesture of silent applause where she was just repeatedly clapping her hands together oh, without Jesus. actually clapping. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To mimic it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right? So the jury came back with a verdict of guilty of first degree murder and she was sentenced to death. She was imprisoned at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, In an area for escape-prone and mentally ill prisoners. Oh, yeah. There was no designated area for women under death sentences at the time, and she was the state's only female death row inmate. During her stay on death row, she became a devout, born-again Christian, don't they all? Yes. (laughs) And her involvement in the Christian ministry was extensive enough to the point where there was an effort to make her sentence commuted um, to life in prison versus her being put to death. So a second basis for the appeal was the testimony of a professor of psychiatry at the New York State University of Medicine. And this was an authority on violent behavior. And they claimed that Velma suffered from disassociative identity disorder, which is usually called multiple personality disorder. Personal. Personal. Or what I like to call Sybil syndrome. It's mm-hmm. just so much easier to call it Sybil syndrome.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, Try to say that three times fast. Yeah. Sybil syndrome. Sybil
0: syndrome. Anyway. <laughs> So she testified that Velma actually had multiple personality disorder and had a other... Personality
1: that was doing... Yes. Yeah.
0: Named Billy, who told her that Velma was a victim of childhood sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and that he was the one that killed her abusers. Well, the judge pretty much was unconvinced... He was quoted as saying, one of them did it. I don't care which one. (laughs) So Velma just decided no more appeals. You know, she was staying on death row. So Velma Barfield was executed on November 2nd, 1984 at Central Prison. And at the time, she was the first woman to be put to death in the United States in 22 years and the first woman to die by lethal injection. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you want to hear something so funny? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what she chose for her last
1: meal. Oh, God. Here we go. This is great. This is good.
0: One bag of Cheetos and two eight-ounce glass bottles of Coca-Cola. Oh, my God. I swear to God, though, like, if my, my husband could have that for dinner every single night, <laughs> he would. Like, that is his go-to. Oh, my right daughter
1: right already does. <laughs> she
0: has that before I get home. That was Velma's last meal. That was Velma's last oh. meal. Cheetos and Coke. I don't know. What would your last meal be? What do you think?
1: Oh, definitely, like, a prime rib. I got to have some meat. <laughs> <laughs> or a filet mignon.
0: Yeah, I mean, with, yeah. wrapped
1: in bacon with potato and and then a cheesecake to follow. <laughs> <laughs> and would and like, this wine definitely, cuz this is fabulous. Isn't this a yes, great wine? This I love is our it.
0: third cheers of the night. So it. this is a
1: This is a really, a really good, good one. I strongly suggest you have this.
0: Yeah, I would totally um pick this wine as well. I don't know what else I would have though. That's so hard. Cheesecake, cheesecake, but it would be an awesome Cheesecake, like it had to be a junior's. Ju- oh, it would New New definitely City, have to juniors, be yes. New York City Junior's cheesecake. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't want to cut. I just give me the fork.
1: <laughs> I'm digging in. Give me the, the biggest fork funnel. in the bottle. Can't you just
0: say, Arr. yeah? <laughs> bite a cheesecake, swig of wine, bite a cheesecake, swig of wine.
1: Yeah.
0: I hope I never have to make that choice, but should I ever have to make that choice, which I really don't want to have no. to do. No. I think maybe for, like, my next treat day, I'm going to just, like, get a cheesecake. And, oh, I'm going to the city this weekend. I'll get a cheesecake. There you go. And maybe next week for a cheat day, I will sit there and, like, just...
1: <laughs> Munch. Yes. On yes. Cheesecake. I'll Absolutely. just go nuts on the
0: cheesecake. Anyway. Yeah. We did really well today, I think. And I'm so psyched. We got down another full episode. hmm So, good job. Are we done?
1: What do you mean? With this one. No. Oh.
0: <laughs> because I want to talk about the um,
1: website. Okay. So our, exciting.
0: I'm so excited because we're getting so many followers on Instagram. Like This is we so great. It. I know. I'm so happy. Thank you so much for following us. Yes. Awesome. Tell your friends that you know that like true crime to follow us because we're pretty witty girls, I think. You Absolutely.
1: Know?
0: And, and it's fun. I know. I'm getting really good feedback about our what the fact.
1: Oh, good. Posts.
0: So on Fridays, we're posting what the fact they're just kind of silly little um, facts, about facts about different crimes that have crimes, happened murder and we're getting really good feedback on them. So I'm glad everyone's enjoying those. Right. Um, we also want to again say a big thank you to my uncle for supplying us sleepless, uh, sweet red wine. It's so good. We'll post the photos on Instagram and that also reminds me that i want to mention on our website we have a support page there and since we are you know a podcast of two yes and we're doing everything which we love doing we were just saying this is so great how we're just kind of hanging out and you know loving this we want to just really do a great job and in order to do that we just need stuff and we want to be there with the podcast that we love to listen to so with that in mind Um, If you go to our support page on our website, you'll see there's different ways that you can show your support for Crimes Uncorked, and we would be eternally grateful if you would support us. So if you would check that out. That would mean the world to us. There's also an option on our website where you can donate a bottle of wine because we like to drink wine while we get together. Yes. Especially when we talk about true crime because it just makes it so much easier. It's so, much fun. yes. Because it's hard to talk about this stuff, even though we love it. Um, But we like to drink wine, it helps us get yep. through it. So, if you want to donate a bottle of wine, you know, feel free. That would be awesome. That and would be so cool. Of course, we'd give you a total shout out.
1: Oh, on our absolutely. Podcast.
0: <laughs> Anyways, thanks so much again for tuning in. We really appreciate it and we appreciate you listening and we appreciate your support.
1: So, with that, we'll leave you now. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jen. I'm
0: Rebecca. And take care, you weirdo winos. Bye. Bye. Bye.